Well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. My name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you guys for coming. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn it to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Here at Sojourn, we are convicted that the, the Bible is the Word of God, that it's authoritative, that God can call us to things in the Scripture, and we are, as His people, as believers, to live underneath it, to obey it. We see it as something that is instructive to us, that's uh, inspired by God himself, so that the words we see in Scripture are the very words of God. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you do have a Bible, to open it up with that in mind, that this is God's Word that we turn to each and every week. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. And there, there's a popular saying that most of us have heard. It's called, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I don't know where this saying originated or where it came from. I'm assuming that it's that you can't reason with dogs. So once they kind of find a pattern of life, they're probably going to stick in that pattern of life because you can't say, dog, you know, it'd be smarter if you decided not to do this anymore because clearly this will be better for your life. So I don't think that's possible. I don't know. Maybe you guys have different uh, opinions on that. If you've, you've trained old dogs new tricks, then great. You can rebuke me later. But nonetheless, we use this saying and we apply it to human beings. They can't teach an old dog new tricks. And basically, if a guy's uh, been set in his ways, then he's probably going to be set in those ways because they're stubborn and we like to do our own thing and follow in the pattern of life that we've known for all of our life. But what happens is when we start applying this to, to, to human beings, what the gospel does is it comes in and it kind of shifts that paradigm because now all of a sudden when the gospel comes in, that's no longer true. And so we have Corinth, this place that is known for its worldliness, known for its sexual immorality, known for giving themselves to the lusts of the flesh, whether that be wisdom and knowledge or these uh, amazing signs and displays of the Spirit or, or, or if it's given themselves completely over to sexual immorality, this is the world of Corinth. And Paul comes in here, this guy who's just this missionary, and he comes in with an unimpressive message as an unimpressive weak man, and he tells them this one message. And that message was that Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you guys should have lived, and he was crucified as you guys should have been crucified on your behalf so that if you trust in him, you could have eternal life and you could walk in newness of life. And this gospel that came to Corinth, it shifted that paradigm that you can't teach an old dog new tricks because all of a sudden these people who'd been in this one way of life for their entire lives, for their entire existence, who'd grown up in this culture of immorality, of, of giving themselves to the lust of the flesh, all of a sudden they have been shifted and transformed by this gospel that is powerful. And so Paul comes in and, and he does this and it kind of turns everything upside down. But there's still problems in Corinth. As we all know in our own existence and in our own lives, when the gospel came to us, and if it has transformed us, it changed us, but we know that we don't have everything figured out. And we know we don't do everything as we ought to. We know we don't live as we ought to live all the time. We know there's still some problems with us seeing things through the old way rather than seeing things in the new way, in light of the gospel. And this is what Paul is writing to them. Largely what he's done so far is just give them the gospel. He said, there's a problem, there's divisions among you, but I came to you preaching the gospel. This needs to be your focus, that Christ is your all in all. And so what he's even doing here in this passage, through the end of chapter 2, is trying to get them to see life. How they evaluate things that are happening around them. How they even evaluate preaching. How they evaluate wisdom. How they evaluate what's going on in their lives. He wants them to see it in light of the, the wisdom of the cross that he preached to them. He wants them to see, he wants them to look at things and think through things in light of the wisdom of the cross. He wants them to see even who they are in light of this wisdom of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And so this is his large push, not even for the Corinthians, but for us as well, to, to see life in light of the wisdom of the cross, in light of the gospel, in other words. And so this is how Paul addresses us. He's been driving home the gospel and its importance and its content so that they could see life this way. So they couldn't just hear it and understand it, but actually look out and see this is how it's supposed to be lived out and start seeing through things through those eyes. It kind of, he wants them to have this cross-shaped view of all things. So when they look out, they're evaluating and looking through this cross-shaped lens. And so here in chapter 2, this is what he's kind of finishing up for them in this chapter, this wisdom from the gospel, this wisdom of God. But he's still addressing kind of this problem that's been among them from, first, from the first chapter, that there's division among them. And so he starts driving at the gospel, and here he's doing it again. He wants them to understand this wisdom of God. And so he comes with this preaching of this foolish message to them of Christ crucified. And here he says in verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And so many thought Paul brought this foolish message. He was a weak man, but he's saying, no, we actually, what I did and what these people did when they were preaching the gospel was actually imparting wisdom. And so, once again, what did Paul impart to them? What did he give to them when he came? He was very clear so far in this book about what he gave them. He was sure and, and made sure he was very careful to protect the content of what he gave them. And the content that he gave them was the message of the cross, was Christ crucified. He, he gave them this message that you deserve to die, but Christ has died for you on your behalf. That if you trust in him, you no longer have to die. You no longer are facing the judgment that you deserve from God. God's wrath has been removed from you. This was his message to them. This is the gospel. And so this is what he's imparted to them. This is the wisdom that he's talking about. But it doesn't seem like wisdom to all. And he says, some of them don't see it in wisdom at all. Not the wisdom of this age, so people of this age, the rulers of this age, they don't, they don't see it as wisdom. But who sees it as wisdom, he says in verse 6? The mature. The mature. To, among the mature, we impart wisdom. And so the, the mature are those who are recognizing Paul's message as a message of wisdom. And since in the context that Paul is speaking of, when he's talking about wisdom, he's speaking about this, this message of the cross, and nothing necessarily more or less, but he's speaking about the gospel. This is the wisdom that he imparted to him. Clearly, he's given them the gospel. And so the mature aren't some special elite class of Christians here in Corinth. The mature are those who have just seen and grasped hold of the gospel. They are those who have believed in Jesus. They're not just some elite level. That's exactly what the Corinthians wanted, to be on some elite level. And he said, no, you don't understand the gospel if that's where you're going. The mature are those who have grasped hold of the gospel. They are believers. And this is the, the wisdom he's speaking of, and this is the mature that he's speaking of. The mature are these believers. And so being mature means having being imparted the wisdom of the gospel. It means embracing the gospel message, embracing Christ crucified. But he wants believers to be aware that this is not the wisdom of this world, and that it's much different than the wisdom of this world. He says the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age is doomed to pass away. And so the, the worldly wise guy is not looking on this message of the cross and saying, that sounds like wisdom. They're saying, that sounds like foolishness. That is folly. That doesn't sound like any of those things at all. And so the world doesn't see it as something that's a, a wise message. But the mature, those who have grasped hold of it, they are the ones who see it. The world, it relies on its own set of wisdom, its own set of rules, its own set of way of explaining life. And it trusts in something much, much different than what Paul put before them. 
And Paul's saying their wisdom is doomed to pass away. Don't put your hope, don't put your trust in the wisdom of this world that everybody is putting before you and saying, this is true wisdom. No, trust in this foolish message that I gave to you, the message of the gospel. This is understanding true wisdom because the wisdom of this world is doomed and it will pass away. And he continues on in verse seven, we impart to you a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, once again, this secret and hidden wisdom that he speaks about is the truth of the gospel. It's Christ crucified. It's the message of the cross. Now, it had been kind of secret and hidden for a time. And we look in the Old Testament and we know that all these things weren't revealed explicitly. Jesus wasn't revealed explicitly. The cross wasn't revealed explicitly. And he, Jesus is all over the New Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. And we, we just went through Isaiah and we saw a whole bunch of Jesus there. He's all over the pages. But it's not just blatantly out in front of you. It's not just right in your face where you cannot miss it. It's in types. It's in shadows. It's in kind of veiled terms. And it's so veiled that the rulers, he says, of this age didn't even recognize him. They didn't understand Jesus. They didn't understand what was happening. And so what did they do? They killed him. They killed him. They didn't see what was going on. Because we look back and we think, man, if, if you knew the plan, you wouldn't have killed Jesus because clearly that was the plan for him to die and be raised. That was the victory. It was coming through death. But the rulers of this age, they didn't recognize that. What they're trying to do is saying, I'm establishing my own kingdom He's trying to establish some sort of kingdom, and so what I got to do is get rid of him. Or even if you're thinking of the rulers of this age, and there's kind of debate here that maybe this is some of the demonic forces of this age. I think within context, clearly it speaks about the human rulers of that age, but surely there's demonic stuff behind even some of those rulers. What they're trying to do is take out the Son of God. Let's destroy his mission. Let's get rid of what he is trying to do. And so clearly, the way to get rid of somebody's kingdom is to kill them, to destroy the king. Then the kingdom will probably fall around him. But that's not what happens. They didn't recognize what was going on. They had faulty wisdom. They didn't see that the, the victory for Christ and him, the victory was coming through his crucifixion. Victory was coming through his death. And so the wisdom... This message of, the, of Christ crucified, the message of the cross was true wisdom. So much so that people, even without even knowing, unknowingly are serving the very purposes and will of God, are serving his decrees. And we look and it says in verse 8 that none of these understood this. And in verse 7, this was something that was decreed before the ages for our glory. And so when we come to the gospel, when we come to this message of Christ crucified, what we can know is that this isn't plan B. This isn't some God looking down on earth and be like, oh man, Adam and Eve screwed it up. What am I going to do now? Jesus, I guess we've got to get you into the game. This is not what's happening. This was decreed before the ages. God looks out from eternity past and he sees the fallenness of man. And he decrees to send his own son to go down there and rescue those sinners. To go and take on flesh so that he might bear the sin of the people. That he might bear the sins of the world that he might be the Lamb of God. God, God decreed this in, in eternity past, before the ages. And so this isn't some plan B that God's thrown together when, when human beings screw everything up. 
This is something God knew in his great and ultimate wisdom that he was going to send the son. And why does he send them? It says, for our glory. God wanted, he desired, he willed in his wisdom, in his holiness to redeem people. God is under no obligation to redeem anyone. God has no obligation to save us from the wrath that we deserve. But God is so incredibly much more merciful than we can even imagine that in even in eternity past, he decreed and willed and desired to redeem people. And he decided to do that at the cost of himself. And what an amazing message. Christ took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die so that we might be with God forever, so that we might be reconciled. And this wasn't plan B. This wasn't something he threw together. This is something he willed and decreed from eternity past that people would come to him and be reconciled to him. He wanted to redeem. And this happens through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. This is how people are redeemed. And so the rulers of this age, possibly even with the demonic forces behind them, didn't set out to set up this kingdom by crucifying Jesus and then having the resurrection happen. What they set out to do was to destroy Jesus and his kingdom, so they crucified him and they got turned on its head. Because God knows this, decreed it from eternity past. They're just setting out their own kingdoms and Christ is using even their false and sinful behavior to set up his own. That's, that's wisdom. In killing Christ, the rulers of this age are fulfilling God's decrees. That's, that's wisdom. That's wisdom from God. And this is what Paul is putting before them. You think this is wisdom? They're serving the very purposes of God that he already had before the ages. That's wisdom. Trust in that kind of wisdom. So when we impart to you the gospel, we impart to you true wisdom. He's trying to encourage them with this very reality. They had missed God's wisdom. They had used their own wisdom and they had killed Jesus and in killing him, they had brought about redemption. See, God's wisdom is way higher than the wisdom of this age. In fact, it says it destroyed the wisdom of this age because the cross brings many sons to glory, brings many sons to be reconciled to a holy father. As he continues in verse nine, he says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Think about that. No eye has seen it, no ear has heard it, no heart has even imagined all the fullness of God in his salvation plan. No one could have pictured it this way. No one could have had it this way. This is God's salvation plan that it, it is so amazing that they can't even imagine it. You can't reach it on your own. You cannot fathom it. And this is true wisdom. God and his plan and his purpose is being fulfilled in Christ. This is true wisdom. This is what no heart could have imagined, that this is how it would happen. That Christ would be the one who would come and get victory through death. That Christ would be raised from the dead and reign forevermore. This is how it happens. It finds fulfillment in Christ. And so Paul, he wants them to begin to see their life in light of this wisdom. To see their life in light of this cross. He's, he's appealing to them as those who are mature, who've received the cross, who've uh, believed upon Jesus, to, to see life this way. And, and honestly, when he comes to them, this is what he's not seeing. They're not acting this way. They're not acting like the mature who've grasped hold of the cross. So there's division. And the world of Corinth is kind of infiltrated. There's more Corinth in them than needs to be. 
They're different, new people, and they need to see things through a different lens, not a worldly lens. Now, you shouldn't evaluate wisdom and evaluate all these things through the lens of Corinth and their upbringing and background. They should see it through the lens of the gospel. And this is what Paul is, is driving at. But they're stuck. They're stuck in following the wisdom of this age. And Paul is trying to pull them out of this. It's as if the, the Corinthians are, are kind of ready, in a sense, to be gospel graduates. And they've heard the gospel. Paul came and gave them that. That changed them. That shaped them. But now they're ready for higher wisdom. Now they're ready for something more. Now they're ready for something that will impress the world. And Paul's saying, no. No, now this changes everything. And you need to see everything through this lens of the gospel. The gospel isn't just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z. You're going to need it all along. This is true wisdom. You're never going to outgrow this. You're never going to move beyond this. And so Paul is calling them to understand this wisdom from God. Understand the gospel and how it shows God's wisdom. How it was God's will decreed before the ages. And it doesn't pass away like the wisdom of this world. And like the rulers of this world. This is, is wisdom. And he wants them to understand this and grasp it. That God doesn't need a backup plan. That God doesn't need to change his plan along the way because something's going wrong. No, that's what human rulers do. Not God. Everything is working according to his will. He's working these things out. He decreed them in ages past so that they could see this amazing wisdom from God in the, in the light of Jesus Christ. And so, how does anyone come to know this wisdom? How does anyone come to know this gospel? And this is what Paul goes after again. If we look in first, verse 10, he, he's been very clear up to this point. How do you come to know the gospel? How do you understand Christ and him crucified? How do you basically become a believer? How do you become a Christian? Paul's been very clear about this so far, but we'll keep reading in verse 10. He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, worldly wisdom could be attained. You, you could study. Maybe you didn't have the you know, intellectual capacity as others, but you could study wisdom. You could, you could kind of put it out on a test if you needed to. You could, you could find a teacher who could teach you and you could walk with them and let them be kind of, you could be their understudy and you could learn from them and learn to walk in their ways. You could do that. There are ways that they could have found out worldly wisdom. But he's saying the wisdom that comes from God, no one can get this on their own. You can't just get to it. You can't think hard enough to get to this place where you understand this wisdom from God, where you think, wow, this cross isn't foolish after all. It's really powerful. You, you don't get there on your own. This is what Paul is getting at. No one can do this. There has to be some sort of antecedent work. And so I love how one author has put it. He says, in other words, there has not only been an objective public act of divine self-disclosure in the crucifixion of God's own son. So this is irrefutable facts that everybody could have looked at. So you could have seen it. But he says, but there also must be a private work of God by his spirit in the mind and in the heart of the individual. That is what distinguishes the believer from the unbeliever, the mature from the people of this age and the rulers of this age. If we see the truth of the gospel, therefore it has nothing to do with our brilliance or insight. It has to do with the spirit of God. You can't attain these things on your own. If you've truly seen the gospel, it's because God's spirit so worked to let you see the gospel. And Paul has been hammering this point to them, just blatantly in front of them. God is the one who called you. God shows you who are weak. You didn't come to this on your own. God chose you. He called you. Christ is the source of your life, he said in chapter 1. And here he says it again. You didn't come to these things on your own. They've been revealed to you by the Spirit. And the effect that this should have on the Corinthian church is that no one would boast. 
that they wouldn't think, ah, I got it. I've attained wisdom. That could be a boast. He says, no, you were called. You were chosen. This was revealed to you. You didn't come to this on your own. God is the one who's done this. He's the source of your life. This wasn't something that you attained. It was something that was gifted to you. God is the one who's done this. And this reality should put an end to division. It should put an end to quarreling. It should put an end to all these things that they're searching after and seeking after in Corinth, seeking status and power, saying, I follow Paulus or I follow Paul. No, these things were revealed to you and you need to live in light of these things. They weren't the powerful. They weren't the wise. They weren't the ones who were of noble birth. They were these weaklings trying to go after worldly wisdom, but it was never fulfilling. It never helped them. And Paul says, the only way that you can get this wisdom and understand this gospel from God is that if it's revealed to you by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is kind of like this floodlight. And if you had a sign for your business and you put it up like we have a sign on our building, right now, if you come here at night, you're not gonna see whose building this is because there is no light on this sign. If you come in the day, you can see the big sojourn sign looks great. You come at night, You may not know whose building this is. There's no identification signs on the outside of this building. Now, what would happen if we put a floodlight on that thing? Then all of a sudden, what was still there, what was still there clearly that you could see in the light is now in the darkness been revealed. And this is the work of the Spirit. It's acting like a floodlight on something that's there that has happened, this objective truth of Jesus Christ dying in the cross The objective truth is there, but the floodlight needs to be turned on so that people can see it. And this is the work of the Spirit, to be this illuminator, to to shine on Christ and Him crucified so that people can understand it. And that's what it means to truly have it revealed to them by the Spirit, is for this Holy Spirit to act like this floodlight, to turn it on. It's to make us see Christ, see the love of Christ toward wicked sinners, see the love of God as measured in the cross. This is what the Spirit does. It shines on that shines that way as a floodlight. And this is what every single one of us needs. We need the Spirit to illuminate Christ and Him crucified. We need the Spirit to reveal these things to us because we cannot come to them on our own. God has to do this work. We're never going to attain this godly wisdom. We're never going to do it by our own matters. We're never going to grasp the power of the gospel. We need the Spirit to do this. We need it to work in us. And so if you're a believer, you have no boast before God. Because the Spirit has revealed these things to you. You can't come to God and say, I've done something. And so kind of the result of this, it ought to be two things. It ought to be this profound thankfulness to God. I love that the old hymn that Charles Wesley wrote. I think this sums it up well. He's kind of just asking questions. He says, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me? Who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can this be? That you, my God, should die for me. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, should die for me? He's just overwhelmed with this thankfulness to God that that you should die for me? This doesn't make any sense, I can't comprehend it. But what's exploding out of his heart is this thankfulness to God that he has revealed it to him. And this ought to be a result of every true believer. Now I'm not saying that you're gonna write songs and poetry and, and great words like that. But there ought to be some sort of overflowing in your heart that God, and and somehow, even though you were the one who in your sin was the one that put Christ on the cross, somehow loved you enough to reveal these things to you that you would come to believe in Christ. Overwhelming thankfulness just ought to gush out of us. But there ought to be also this sense, and here's, here's where Corinth was really struggling, of humility, of humility. 
that they don't have a reason to boast, not before God. And even before man, they can't come and say, well, we've attained this and you guys are just simpletons and you don't figure out the wisdom of God. No, there's no boast. And so they can come and engaging even Corinth and say, man, I have no reason to boast. This was revealed to us by God, but here's what it is. And so there ought to be a sense of humility. And this is exactly how Paul wants the Corinthians and he wants us to see things in light of the cross, in light of this message that they've received, not that they attained to, but that was given to them and revealed to them by the Spirit. This is wisdom from God that had been revealed. And so they shouldn't boast. They shouldn't divide. They shouldn't say, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. They should trust in this wisdom of the cross and know that that changes everything. That changes how they look at everything. That changes how they evaluate everything. That changes how we live. And so the question for us is, is does the cross of Christ, does Christ crucify this message of the gospel, does it change how we live Does it change how we think? Does it change how we see even ourselves? Does it change how we see our world? Because it most definitely should. It should change everything about those things. This result of overwhelming thankfulness and humility by by God choosing this and, and calling us to this and revealing this to us. And it should be this profound privilege to be one that God has worked in. And we're reliant on the Holy Spirit for these things. And so we ought to come and see things not through this background that we have, but start seeing them through the lens of the gospel, seeing this cross-shaped view of things, seeing how Christ was the one who sacrificed himself, seeing how he was the one who revealed this to us, seeing how we are the ones who are now to respond in just overwhelming thankfulness and humility before him. And if you're not a believer, look to the cross and ask for the Spirit to work. This is how God draws, is by looking upon the lamb who was slain. This is how the Spirit shines the floodlight, is that you would hear Christ crucified, that you would see him on the cross, and that your heart would be drawn as well. Because this is what we're we're needing. We're reliant upon the Spirit. And if you go to God in submission, just show me. I want to know. Give me Christ. Look to the cross and ask that he would show you that cross, not as folly, but as wisdom. Don't keep trying to reach God on your own. Don't keep trying to figure it out. Rely on the Spirit and ask for God. Don't keep doing it on your own, but put out the help wanted sign. Say, I need something here. Do something here. I need help. I've got to have help. Because the only way for the cross is through the revelation of the Spirit. This is exactly what God does when we put the gospel before people. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ and his gospel, and the Spirit illuminates Christ for people. All over the globe this is happening to people who have never heard. The only way to cross from thinking of the crosses, from folly to power and wisdom of God, the only way from moving from disbelieving to believing, from moving from life to death is through the power of the gospel, it's through the Spirit working in this thing to show us what Christ has truly done. This is how it works. This is what Paul is getting at. Only the Holy Spirit does this, and he goes on with the Spirit. He says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so there's there's a difference in in even nature. God is different than us. We cannot attain to him. And so kind of it's like is known by like. So people can know one another. God can know God. And there's a gap in between there. And so how are we supposed to bridge this gap? How are we supposed to search these depths of God and know his knowledge, know his thoughts? Well, God has given us his spirit to bridge that gap. 
He's given us the Spirit so that we can know God because the Spirit has searched the depths of God. He knows all these things about God. No one can come to comprehend God and his thoughts on their own. It takes the Spirit's work. We're in need of the Spirit's work. We're reliant upon the Spirit. And this is exactly what the Spirit loves to do. Reveal, illuminate, show forth Christ. Illuminate the thoughts of God that we might grasp hold of the gospel. Nothing can bridge that gap, but God has made a way and has sent the Spirit to do these things. And Paul is reminding him of this reality. He goes on in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He's telling them, if you have grasped hold of the gospel, if you are those who are mature, you have the Spirit of God. And because they have the Spirit, they're, they're not of the world. You have the Spirit that is from God, not from this world. And so the, the implication is stop living like this world. Stop seeing things like this world. You ought to see it differently now that you have the Spirit of God. You have a very different spirit in you than what you were living in before. This is the spirit of God. And so stop seeing things the way you were seeing them before. Stop living as you were living before because there's a, a unique difference now. That The Holy Spirit isn't given that they might look and see who's the wisest, who's the noblest, who, who's the one who's got it all together with their speaking and with their arguments. That's not what he's doing. And so they shouldn't look that way anymore. They should start seeing it through different eyes. And those eyes that are looking at things and saying, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, those are worldly eyes. Those are Corinthian eyes. And he wants them to see with gospel eyes what's going on. And so he's reminding them of these things, that they don't understand the things that, that have been given by God unless they have the Spirit of God. But he's come and he's been given to you so that you would see things differently, so you would live differently. The key to everything is the Spirit that has been given. This is how it's revealed. And so Paul, he's saying, even my preaching Seeing it as, as wisdom, seeing as the cross, as, as what's, what's happening and what you're grasping hold of, even your own conversion, these are all reliant upon the Spirit. Understanding this wisdom, all reliant upon the Spirit. And so now you need to start seeing things differently. And the same reality is true for every believer. That now you've received the Spirit. You can understand the thoughts of God. You can grasp hold of the gospel message. And so now you need to start seeing things through that lens that Christ on the cross showed this dis amazing display of love for us. And now we start evaluating how we see everything differently because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We start to understand this plan of salvation. We see it not as folly, but as wisdom and power. And so we send it out even to the nations so that people could see the same thing. This is what happens. And if we rely on the Spirit, then it ought to change us. Changes how we interact with our people in our church. It changes how we evaluate preaching. It changes how we look at the content of the gospel. It changes all of those things. And so we need to see life in light of the work of the Spirit in our life. We need to see life in light of what God has revealed to us through His Spirit. We need to see life in light of the cross of Christ. This is what He's driving at. It's not the Spirit of this world. It's completely different. It's been revealed by the Spirit, and so you ought to live differently. And so they ought to understand the wisdom of God. They ought to rely on the Spirit for these things. But then He's kind of setting them loose. You need to live as spiritual people. If we look at verse 14, he kind of begins another contrast. He's had several contrasts in this passage. And here he begins another one. He's had contrast between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. Contrast with the spirit of this world, spirit of God. And now he goes with another one in the next couple verses. The natural person and the spiritual person. Verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
And so the natural person is one who basically is not a believer, who doesn't have the spirit, who doesn't know God, who hasn't believed in the gospel. That's what he's talking about when he speaks about a natural person. Now, a natural person can understand the facts of the gospel, can understand Christ and him crucified, can understand what happened there and the transaction that Christians are saying took place. But that doesn't mean that they can grasp hold of the significance of it spiritually. And that's what he's getting at. The natural person cannot grasp the significance spiritually of what has happened in in the gospel. Or if they did, they would be converted. They would believe. And so that means that the gospel is still folly to the natural person. It's still something that seems like this foolish person. Without the spirit, they're unable to understand these things. And one uh, scholar said this, this is not up here, but one scholar, it's it's like a donkey at a concert. The donkey can go to a concert, can hear all the music that's going on, but it really doesn't comprehend what's happening. It's probably making a mess while he's there. All right? That's a good picture of what's happening here. This is the natural person. You could hear all these things, but really not comprehend it. Really not really understand what's, what's going on here, like a donkey at a concert. And the Bible is really, really clear about the natural person. All of which we all used to be in that category, and maybe some of us still are. But the natural person, the, the scripture is very clear, they're rebels. They've rebelled against God and his kingdom. They've pushed off God as the king of their lives, pushed off his demands. The Bible says that they're enemies of God. They don't want anything to do with God. They want to they live life how they want to do it. They've set up their own kingdom and kind of battling against God's kingdom. They're sinners. The scripture says that no one, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Every single one of them has fallen short. This is the natural person. This is what the Bible says about the natural person. Everyone has fallen apart. Everyone is broken. Everyone is sinful. Everyone is a rebel. And so our self-centeredness and our sin is so deep and affects us so much that we can never truly see the cross apart from the work of God apart from the work of the Spirit, as Paul says in these verses. He says these things, they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. And so he says they're folly to him who is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, meaning that the Spirit comes in and helps us make appropriate judgments about these things. And this is what the Spirit does to those who have believed. He has come in and allowed them to look at the cross and make an appropriate judgment of what has happened there, to see this has happened and what has taken place spiritually between sinner and Christ. The transaction took place to reconcile a holy God to sinful people. And so to make these appropriate judgments, in, in light of the cross means that the people come and are broken. They see their sin. They see their guilt. They see how they took part in what Christ has done. And they repent and they turn and believe. This is what it means to spiritually discern the cross. It means to see what has actually taken place there. He continues to contrast in verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What, is, what does Paul mean by all there? Right? Does, does he mean that the, the spiritual person can, can tell the difference between a coral snake and a scarlet king snake, which are very similar in color, but one is venomous and one is non-venomous? Is that what he means? Like, so if you come up to one of these snakes, like, wait a second, I'm a spiritual person. I can spiritually discern this. That's a bad snake. I'll steer clear of that one. That one's okay. Don't worry about that one. Does he mean that we can tell the difference between like a poisonous mushroom or one that seems edible to eat? Like just go out in the woods, look at these mushrooms, you're a spiritual person, you'll figure it out. Is that what Paul means when he says all there? Well, obviously, I hope you're understanding like no, like I'm I'm driving at no here. 
My guess is no. All right, Paul can't list, list every single exception to the word all here. So what is, he, what is he really getting at when he says all? Well, I think, once again, we look at the context. In verse 10, he kind of uses the same word. These things, what, the Spirit searches everything or all things. And down here in verse 15, he says, the spiritual person judges all things. Now, what was the all things that the Spirit was searching? It was the thoughts of God. It was the depths of the knowledge of God. This is what the spiritual person can judge. This is what the spiritual person can understand, is those things that the Spirit has revealed. These all things are coming from the Spirit. They're coming from the thoughts of God. This is the context here. So it's not as if you just go out and decide, this snake is bad, this snake is good, or we can eat those mushrooms and not those. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. Therefore, the person who has the Spirit can discern God's thoughts, can discern God's wisdom, and specifically, in light of all the context, he can discern the cross and make judgments appropriate that are about the cross and Christ crucified. And so the spiritual person can see the folly of the world, the folly of worldly wisdom, and the wisdom of the cross and the power of the cross because the, the spiritual person's been in both. They've been the natural person. And they've been transformed by the gospel. And so they can look back and say, that's how foolish this was. I was there. But they can look forward and say, this is the wisdom of God because it's transformed me. This is what he means when he, when he says that, that they have, can discern all these things. That they can make judgments about all of these things. It's like when I was in second grade, I got glasses. So it's been a long time since I've had some sort of corrective lens. And now I wear contacts. But in second grade, I had no idea that I couldn't see well. Like, I remember just showing up to the eye doctor one day and walking out with glasses. Did not understand that, like, man, I can't see things very well. But when I put on those glasses, it changed everything for me. Like, I started walking out. I was like, wow, that, that seems really clear now. Like, that seems totally different than it was before. So now, all of a sudden, I didn't even know was something that bad transformed me. So now, like, wow, this is really good. I really appreciate this that I have glasses now. I didn't know how bad it was, and I didn't know how good it could be. And this is the picture here is that we don't understand these things. These glasses, they gave me new perspective on everything. And the Holy Spirit comes and it gives us this new perspective. So now you can look back and see how bad it was. But you can also see how clear and good it was. You see from this new perspective. And the Holy Spirit gives us this new perspective to spiritually see these things, to discern them, to understand the depths of, of God, to, to go these places. And when he means this, he's saying you understand the gospel and you're grasping hold of the gospel. This is what is happening. And he continues, Paul, he's adding on in verse 15. He says, the, spirit, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. Now, we could really get crazy with this verse, couldn't we? He's judged by no one. And so does that mean that he's infallible? And you just say whatever you want. You're not judged by anybody. God approves of you. You're a spiritual person. Once again, I'm driving at no. Like, that's not what he's saying. Like, he's not saying that this person is infallible. What he is saying when they're judged by no one is he's, this person is no longer the subject of human courts. And so if the, if the human courts say he is condemned or if the human courts say he is completely affirmed and released, it does not matter anymore. He is not judged by those things anymore. The spiritual person has transformed realms in a way. He's been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred and put into the kingdom of the, of the sun. And so now these human courts who used to have the say over what he is affirmed in, what he's a, a released in, or what he's guilty of, now no longer have that judgment over him. There's another that has judgment over him now. And so human condemnation, which the Corinthians were definitely receiving, no longer matters anymore. Or the human acquittal, which they might have received as well, no longer matter anymore. They're not subject to those things anymore because they've taken hold of the cross. 
Because the only judge that matters now is God. Because the only thing that happens with their transaction and their guilt is that it's been taken care of on the cross. That's what matters now. And so they're seeing these things and they're judged by no one now that they've seen the cross. They've received their judgment. Their final judgment, the gavel has already fallen on that thing. And they've been declared righteous and set free from their sin. And so now these human courts, it doesn't matter. Now if someone comes and judges, you're judged by no one because Christ has already judged you in the cross. This is what he gets at. He's going to get at it later in in 1 Corinthians 4. But if you look in 3 and 4, he says, With me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm thereby not acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And this is the same thought here. The spiritual person is judged by no one. It doesn't matter ultimately whether you give me acquittal or whether you say that I'm guilty. Because now I'm judged by no one. He continues on, verse 16, kind of his argument around the the natural person, the spiritual person. He says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we have the mind of Christ. Clearly, Paul is saying no one has the the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. No one's in that kind of position to instruct God. But we, we have the mind of Christ, meaning we have this mindset that Christ Jesus has. We have the mindset of Christ. We're seeing things through a gospel lens. It's this profound wisdom regarding salvation, basically. When you have the mind of Christ, you you have this profound wisdom that has been given to you by the Spirit to understand the gospel, to grasp hold of the gospel and the salvation that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. And so to have the mind of Christ is to habitually, habitually turn to the cross for all of your life. It's to have this cross-shaped view of everything. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. This is the center of Christ and him crucified. This center of our message, this is the center of Christ's work, is that he would go to the cross and he would die and be raised. And this is the mind of Christ to turn to that thing over and over and over again. And we have this expression that we can look through things like through rose-colored glasses, meaning like we, we kind of spin it in a positive way and we see it through a certain lens. And this is what Paul is calling them to, to see these things through a gospel lens. Now you see things differently. You have this mind of Christ. You start seeing these things through this gospel uh, glasses, these gospel-shaped glasses, and this changes everything. This is what he's been driving at for two chapters. See things through the gospel. Evaluate things through the gospel. See your life differently. See who you are differently. Live your life differently. Evaluate differently. Do all these things in light of the cross and in terms of the cross. He wants them to live as spiritual people. And what it means to be spiritual is undeniably tied to the cross. This is how we're to live our lives through this cross-shaped lens, seeing things, evaluating things through the wisdom of the gospel. It's what it means to be a spiritual person. It's what it means to be one of those who are called mature. And so has the gospel given us new perspective? Do we see things just through our lens as an American, as a native of Enid, as a basketball player, as a businessman? Or do we see things primarily as a gospel person, as a a person who is following Christ, as one who says that Christ and him crucified is what is central to my life, and now I'm gonna see things through that lens. See, the glasses have been put on, and now we can see how bad it was and how good it is, and it ought to change and be changing everything. This is what the gospel does, and we don't graduate from it, and move on to higher wisdom and deeper thoughts of God. The depth of the gospel can never be reached by us in this life. 
So we don't graduate, we continue to grow in it and live in it each and every day, knowing this is wisdom, this is power, and it ought to produce in us this profound thankfulness, this profound humility. The problem at Corinth, the problem that Paul's addressing, it isn't primarily division. It isn't primarily their sexual immorality. It's not primarily their their problems with the spirit and their disorderly worship. Their problem primarily is their failure to see their failure to evaluate, their failure to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the primary problem of Corinth, their failure to see through this cross-shaped view to be gospel-centered people. And every single one of our sins and our problems can be traced to that same place. We are failing to see everything through a gospel-shaped, cross-shaped lens. And so we doubt because we don't see and trust in what Christ has done for us. We have anxieties and worries because we do not see that Christ has already taken out the biggest thing that was facing every single one of us, and that being our sin and judgment upon us for it. And so we pursue after worldly things because we don't realize that in Christ Jesus, we're not made for this world or to be satisfied by this world. And so we, we feel the sense of guilt in our lives often because we don't see that all of our guilt has been removed from us by Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we feel sometimes a sense of self-righteousness as if we've attained something because we don't understand that our righteousness is not our own, that it comes from Christ Jesus. All of this comes because we do not see things through this gospel lens. We need a cross-shaped view of all things. And so we should never, ever grow content with our current grasp of the gospel, but keep diving in, going deeper, going further, grasping hold of it more and more and more, because through it, we are to see, we are to understand, we are to live. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we come to you as people that clearly have fallen short, that really have no excuse before you, other than that we just know that we're, we're sinful people. And so we're asking that you would even help us even view prayer and the way we approach you through a gospel lens that knows that we can come boldly as those who have believed in Christ And we can ask you things and we can plead before your throne and you even want those things. Help us view that through the lens of of the gospel. But we want to see all of life through this. And God, we have failed so often to do this. We don't view our homes as as this place of gospel-centered discipleship. We don't view our work as a place to be on gospel-centered mission. We don't view even our churches as a place to be united around the gospel and and protecting and, and getting the content of the gospel right. So often we have a different shaped view of things. And most often it includes a view that wants to set up our own kingdom and our own self. And so God, we we ask that you would help us to see our identity as children, our identity as children because of the adoption we received in Christ Jesus because of what he's done on our behalf and that we would live out our lives in light of that truth, that we would live out every single day in light of the truth that Christ has been crucified and he's been raised and he has given us new life. And so, God, would you help us see and understand and live and evaluate and think through 
everything in light of what you've done on the cross. Father, help us to be a gospel people, and may we never be content with our current grasp of the gospel. We ask this for your glory, that Christ may be exalted, and so that none of us can boast before you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.